With the inauguration of America's 46th president, Joe Biden has the opportunity to bring fresh air to the candidate-U.S. relationship. What will that relationship look like? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. The Trump era brought many irritants and rancor to the Canada-U.S. relationship. It's often held up as a symbol of cooperation. This is the longest undefended border in the world. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take we'll talk with Christopher Sands. He's a Ph.D. director at the Wilson Center's Canada Institute, as well senior research professor at Johns Hopkins University. Bill Anderson is director of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor. But first, we begin with Mark High. He's the president of the Canada-U.S. Business Association. And Mark, uh, first off, how do you see the relationship changing between Canada and the U.S. from the last four years? Uh, uh, thanks for having me on here, Ed, and, and great to be a part of that, the great panel that you've got set up for today. Uh, great folks, all of them. Um, I, I think uh, we're going to reset uh, where we've been. We're going to return to where we've been. Uh, we're going to continue uh, communicating, uh, um, uh, unlike uh, perhaps in the last uh, few years. Uh, we're going to stop uh, retaliating against each other, I think. Uh, um, on on uh, different areas and 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 really start to cooperate uh, as as we should be doing. What are the association's top priorities for the new administration? Well, here on the uh, we're in the, the Detroit Windsor area, uh, based here, and and we're really focused on trying to to reopen the border. Um, very uh, critical piece of of this uh, metropolitan neighborhood. Uh, um, COSBA has been involved in in reaching out to both Ottawa and D.C. to try to get people to focus on on this issue, and um, we're hopeful that uh, we'll have a, a new approach uh, to um, that will take into account uh, the, the science that has developed over the, the last uh, 12 months um, and, and allow us to, to come up with ways to, to start to let people um, and go back and forth uh, across the border and, and, and really help both our countries. So we're, we're talking about more testing, perhaps testing to, to cross the border, uh, perhaps a vaccine passport, something like that? Uh, yeah, I think that that's um, um, certainly uh, two of the ways that, that could help. Um, uh, I just got uh, my vaccine, uh, the first shot of it uh, a couple of days ago. So uh, and, and I got a card that, that demonstrates that, and I'll, I'll get the uh, second uh, vaccine in a couple of weeks. That'll be noted on the card, and, and so maybe that will be uh, uh, some sort of demonstration that, that um, at least I'll be able to, to move around a bit. So if we can duplicate that uh, uh, over time, um, I think that's a, that will be a big help. You mentioned trying to get the attention of Ottawa and, and Washington, D.C. about getting the border reopened. Is it not uh, the focus of the federal governments on either side of the border right now? Is that the way you see it? Well, it's been uh, simple, I think, to just uh, look at the numbers uh, of cases uh, and continuing to climb really uh, in both countries and just say, no, this isn't the time to, to, mm -hmm. to look at that. Um, uh, the, Prior administration on the U.S. side wasn't very interested in letting uh, anybody into the country uh, from anywhere. So to a certain extent, that was just sort of their 
um, a general approach. Um, we're hopeful that the the new folks uh, coming in this week will 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 take a different approach uh, and be more interested in in uh, reopening the border. Um, and uh, from the Canadian side, our cases were so high on the U.S. Uh, side that it was easy again to to say no, we're not going to do anything. Um, but uh, again, with some more cooperation and, and a different approach um, and, and some hopefully positive uh, news uh, as, as time goes on, uh, we're hopeful that in the next uh, couple months, uh, uh, Canada will, will relook at this issue too. What about air travel? Um, we talk about non-essential travel crossing the border, you know, where you are in Windsor, Detroit, but you know, we're, we're hearing people from Ottawa are flying to Florida for, you know, snowbirds and, and that's not really essential travel. Uh, what, where do you want to see air travel, you know, either be shored up or at least get some, some, some solid guidelines as to what's going on? Well, you're right. You've identified that, uh, we have a couple different regimes going here. Uh, the, uh, travel ban on non-essential travel only applies to surface, uh, travel, uh, physically crossing the borders, uh, at a, at a bridge, um, or tunnel, uh, uh, air, air. There, there, there have not been the, the restrictions uh, on, on airfare, on air transport. Um, so, uh, I could get to Windsor, I suppose I'd have to drive to Chicago, fly to Toronto and uh, drive back down to Windsor, uh, <laughs> to, to make that one mile <coughs> trip yeah. across the, the border. Uh, not very practical, but it could be done. And so, yeah, that, that just reflects mm-hmm. that, uh, there's gotta be a different way to, to approach, uh, allowing people to cross. And we've had great success with, um, you know, there has been a lot of essential travel, uh, here in this area, we've got three or four thousand uh, medical people that come over every day uh, from Windsor to the Detroit hospitals, medical centers, uh, all the um, trucking uh, logistics going on across the uh, Ambassador Bridge in particular on Blue Water uh, to um, move food and parts and, and egg and whatever. I haven't heard of any issues coming out of uh, the people making those transits. So um, you know, it's certainly time to, mm-hmm. to, to look at this and, and come up with other, other ways to, to let people start to, to move. Now, Joe Biden had mentioned uh, in, in his uh, plans for the future by American policy. I, I'm wondering how, how concerned should Canadian business be? Well, yeah, by American is a, is a, obviously a headline term. Um, I think uh, uh, there's been a lot of by American uh, uh, restrictions already in place, requirements, a uh, better term, uh, uh, in place at the state level, at the local level, county levels, uh, across the country. Um, but if you look into the details, those often, um, I'd say almost generally also allow for, um, uh, goods to be, to be included from, from Canada or at least from neighboring states and provinces. Um, so I expect that, uh, uh, ultimately, the, if there's some federal mandate put in, that, that those um, exceptions will be included um, because so many goods uh, uh, may be uh, Canadian in name, but half of their parts come from America and vice versa. So uh, it, it's not as simple as just uh, one piece coming out of one location 
um, and and meeting that re- that uh, requirement. So uh, we expect some some there'll be some uh, details in, involved there. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us. No, thanks, uh, Ed. Always happy to talk with you and uh, and uh, share our, share our thoughts here. Mark High is the president of the Canada U.S. Business Association. It's time to look at our unpublished .vote question now. Which issue should be the top priority for discussions between Canada and the new U.S. administration? China, by American policy, climate change, the pandemic, reopening the the reopening the border, none of the above or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. We've taken a look at the border issue from the U.S. side. Bill Anderson is quite close to the border with his view as director of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor, and he joins us now. And Bill, uh, the impact on business with border closed to non-essential travel, how, how do you see it coming back? Well, I think that uh, the impact has been considerable because even though the, you know, the trucks are still crossing the border, um, and so you still got the supply chains operating, um, what we hear from people in the business community is that they're not able to make a lot of trips that are necessary in order to uh, make sales trips and just basically to maintain those relationships that um, drive the sort of integrated supply chain trade relationship between the United States and Canada. And in terms of it coming back, I mean, I, I think it's still going to be quite a while um, with the vaccinations going on and everything before uh, the, the, the government in Ottawa is going to be ready to throw the border wide open. So uh, our argument at the Cross-Border Institute is that we're going to need to institute some testing probably. And, and the fact that the vaccinations are coming doesn't mean that that's not not necessary because uh, it's going to take a while. Uh, if you look at the, the pace at which the vaccinations are rolling out in both countries, uh, we're going to be way, way into 2021 before mm-hmm. I think we're going to get into a situation where the government of Canada is going to be comfortable to just say, okay, let's go back to the situation that we had before the pandemic began. You know, it's been a contentious four years for Canada-U.S. relations. How do you repair this relationship? You know, I guess the, the the point is we need to get back to an understanding of what the nature of the economic relationship between Canada and the United States is. And I think that most previous administrations got that, that the, the, the relationship between Canadian business and American business is one of integration rather than one of trade in the conventional sense. And so that you've got supply chains, uh, you know, if you look at the automotive industry, we always talk about the automotive industry, but it is very important in terms of Canada-U.S. trade. Uh, you know, there's, there's all of the cars that are made in Canada have got lots of U.S. parts in them. Uh, all of the, uh, the producers of cars in the United States depend on assembly taking place in Canada and depend on parts coming from Canada. So we've got this integrated system. It seems to work. Um, and uh, if you interrupt that by not making sure that you keep the border open and keep the relationships there, uh, continue to have um, tariff-free trade, and, and, and just think of it as an integrated uh, bilateral international industrial complex rather than thinking of it in the conventional sense of trade. So uh, I think in general, um, you just need to make sure that particularly the business community understands that in the United States. And I, and I do think institutions like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and whatnot, they do understand that. 
Um, but I think the last administration didn't get it at all. It's almost like the uh, the two economies are are integrated. Yeah, That's no, I mean they are, yeah. and, and it's yeah. you know, it's, yeah. and it's not just the automotive industry. You look at agri food, and I think there's potential for more integration. And I think that you know it's it's always beneficial because you know the more opportunities that you have to have a, a greater variety of choice in terms of suppliers, in terms of the goods that you buy, uh, you're going to have, especially in Canada, this allows manufacturers to to sort of scale up to the North American scale rather than just to the Canadian scale and it makes them makes them more efficient and and you know even though I don't know it's popular these days to say well manufacturing isn't that important anymore uh, in Ontario it certainly is very important and uh, it this is one of the the most powerful manufacturing uh, jurisdictions anywhere in the world um, and yet if that starts to dwindle because you're not able to access that big U.S. market, I think it's going to be very bad for the long-term economy. Bill Anderson is joining us at the Unpublished Cafe. He's the director for the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor. And we talked about the supply chains that are being integrated. And obviously, they're moving across the border. Do you expect that we're going to see a bit more uh, more flow? It's going to be a, a quicker, more uh, easy uh, trip both across the border, Canada and U.S., for for these uh, folks in the supply chain? Well, I think ultimately it will be, for one thing, because the, at the biggest crossing, we're going to have a new bridge. Uh, and we've actually done a lot of research at our place on the effects of the, the Gordie Howe International Bridge uh, on, mm. on just the sort of the speed and efficiency and the costs associated with cross-border uh, supply chain. So I think in terms of the infrastructure, the improvements in technology at the border crossings, you know, the efficiency with which it's going to be possible to uh, to clear cars and trucks through the border. Uh, I think all those things are very positive. I think the, the threat really is on the institutional side. Is Are we going to be able to maintain uh, the openness of the two economies to each other? And if that doesn't happen, then it doesn't make any difference whether you've got infrastructure or not. You know, you've, it's got to be mm-hmm. legal to, to make these uh, to make these shipments. You know, uh, you had mentioned uh, we're going to need more testing and, and vaccine rollout, obviously, as conditions to have the border reopen. Uh, what other conditions do you see that need to be met before we can see non-essential travel across the Canada-U.S. border? I think there needs to be a, a recognition of, of uh, yeah, I think part of the problem, and if you talk to the business community, part of the problem is, the, the the definition of what's essential and what isn't essential um, mm-hmm. is not arbitrary. I mean, I think the people that have had to make those calls have done the best they can, but they're not necessarily what the businesses involved think of as the essential and the non-essential. And so, uh, in particular, those types of uh, people that are crossing the border uh, to make sales calls, to install new technology, all of those types of things uh, are essential even if they're not an essential sector you know we've tended to define Mm -hmm. essential in terms of different sectors of the economy rather than what the person crossing the border is going to do people that work on a regular basis i'm down here in windsor we've got a lot of cross-border commuters and especially in healthcare, by the way um and those people have been able to cross on a regular basis for the most part but it's really the people that are keeping those trade relationships going uh that are having a hard time crossing and I think the important thing to think about is this. Mm-hmm. When you see a truck crossing the Canada-U.S. border, that's the outcome of some sort of an agreement that was made sometime in the past 
between a Canadian company and an American company. Now, not between the government of Canada and, and, and the government of the United States, because the U.S. and Canada don't trade. Canadian companies trade with American companies. And so all of those trades come about as a result of a very intense interaction between the people that work for those companies. And if those people aren't able to, you know, you can have Zoom calls and things like that, but at some point you've got to get in a room. And so if those people aren't able to have those connections, then the, the uh, you know, the trade's going to dwindle. Uh, in the long run, if this goes on for too long. What hiccups do you see occurring in the new relationship between Canada and the U.S., if any at all? Well, I think there's going to be hiccups. I mean, you, we, we've already seen, you know, the, the, the pipeline issue. And I guess that mm. one is probably, it's a raw deal uh, for Canada, but it's not really surprising uh, for a number of reasons, given the politics of the thing. And I think it has as much to do with uh, President Biden uh, wanting to make sure he keeps peace in his party, um, which is, you know, always been the Achilles heel mm. of the Democrats is that they uh, they don't stay united, and that's going to be very important for the next four years. And so there's a lot of reasons why it's not surprising at all to see that pipeline uh, uh, go down. But I think the uh, the 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 Buy America thing um, is really sort of the big issue, and uh, and and. It's the big outstanding issue. I'm not, I'm not making the case that it's more important than the pipeline or that, you know, Ontario is more important than Alberta or anything like that. But given that it's going to be pretty tough to reverse uh, the position on the pipeline, I think getting some sort of an agreement, of sort of an exemption uh, in terms of the, the uh, Buy American uh, deal is going to be really critical. And, and really, in terms of what what you know the Biden administration is trying to accomplish uh they're only going to be shooting themselves in the foot if they start mm. busting up existing supply chains that already work across the border and so and i I also think that people in the United States which who tend to be very concerned about trade are mostly concerned about trade that's based on cheap labor, so making the American worker compete with cheap labor. And, and Canada-U.S. trade is not like that. I've talked to union officials in the United States that said that to me. They said, well, you know, it's completely different, the relationship with Canada, because you folks are not taking our jobs on the basis of cheap labor. And so uh, I, I think that getting that understanding and making sure uh, that the idea that the relationship between Canada and the United States economically, now there's lots of other reasons in terms of our history, our relationship is different as well. But that economic relationship is really kind of unique in the world, uh, and you've kind of got to keep that, that integration in place. It's not good for anybody to bust it up now. Bill, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Bill Anderson is the director of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor. While economic and border issues are front and center between Canada and the U.S., there is a number of diplomatic files that are linked as well. Christopher Sands, the PhD director of the Wilson Center's Canada Institute and senior research professor at Johns Hopkins University. And he joins us now. And Christopher, there is a strained relationship between Canada and China, and it would seem to be a bit the same with the U.S. Can Canada and the U.S. work together to resolve this dispute? Do you see that in the future? Well, I think it's 
undeniable that if Canada and the United States are able to form a common front, the conversation with the Chinese will be much more productive. Uh, China is a great power, as, as the U.S. is, and uh, but they're also a power that will look for any sign of weakness, uh, and they know very well. You don't even have to read Sun Tzu to know the old rule of divide and conquer. So the extent that they can prey on any divisions between Washington and Ottawa uh, that affect them, I think they will do. So uh, there is real potential. I think um, Joe Biden has been committed to maintaining uh, a challenge to Chinese uh, behavior and trying to reset that relationship. That's something that I think a lot of Canadians are feeling as well. Um, so we should be able to form common ground. Uh, but I think finding a resolution of all tensions and going back to a kind of old normal, I think might take a lot longer. Yeah, because there's a, there's a few tensions, isn't there? When you when you when we're dealing with China, obviously there's the uh, there's the, there's the pandemic. We've got the two Michaels for for Canada, uh, Meng Wanzhou uh, being held in uh, in Vancouver right now with uh, Huawei. Uh, there's a lot of mm -hmm. angles to this whole issue, isn't there? There are. I think for a long time, and this really goes back before even 9/11, um, and and going back to the Bill Clinton administration in the U.S. There was the hope that China could be, uh, you know, encouraged to have a peaceful rise, that is, uh, without a great power war as it tried to assert itself into the international system. And the U.S. really worked to try to make that possible. But China of late, whether it's the South China Sea, uh, the border skirmishes with the Indians uh, in the Himalayas, uh, or even just in terms of domestic repression, uh, threatening Taiwan, trying to break down uh, Hong Kong democracy, the Uyghurs uh, in Western China, and then also uh, the Tibetans, not to forget them. Uh, there's just a range of issues that whether you come at this from a uh, you know, kind of realist perspective about maintaining global peace and security or a human rights perspective, and you're looking for uh, China to behave in such a way that they can really reflect Western values, in every area, China is is posing a challenge to to our our way of life, and I think we have to stand up for those principles. That's something Canada and the United States ought to do together. One of Joe Biden's first uh, first acts of business when uh, he he came in was to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. How do you see that affecting the relationship between Canada and the U.S.? It's a funny question. Um, it's a good question. It's a funny question, though, because I was thinking recently as I was involved in a panel and we were talking about Canada's decision not to follow the George W. Bush administration into war in Iraq back after 9-11 in 2003, in fact. And one of the things about that that was striking was that uh, what most historians say is that it wasn't necessarily Canada's decision that was a problem. It was how Canada made the decision and communicated to the Americans that disappointed the U.S. because it wasn't what we expected from an ally. I think you're seeing the same situation here. People can say, well, Joe Biden threatened Keystone before. He was part of the Obama administration that had tried to block Keystone, uh, and he was critical of President Trump when uh, Trump issued a presidential permit for Keystone to proceed. So in that sense, it's not surprising. But the fact that it was managed in a day one executive order without uh, having a chat with uh, with Justin Trudeau about this in advance, I think it, it's not about the decision. It's about the process. I think that was a little bit um, unnecessarily 
uh, disrespectful of this relationship. And hopefully uh, when the two leaders, uh, Joe Biden and, and Justin Trudeau, have a chance to have their first phone call, there'll be a little bit of smoothing over of ruffled feathers there, because I think that's, uh, that, that's entirely warranted. Christopher Sands is joining us in the Unpublished Cafe. He's the director of the Wilson Center's Canada Institute and senior research professor at Johns Hopkins University as we talk about the new Canada-U.S. relationship. And climate change is something the two leaders do agree on. Do you expect more progress on that issue? I I do. This is something that uh, where the U.S. has not always been a leader, in fact, has been a bit of a laggard in terms of international commitments and People will remember that uh, Donald Trump took us out of the Paris Accords and Joe Biden made a priority of getting us back into them. That said, if you look at the performance, largely due to technological advances and moving away from coal uh, to natural gas, the U.S. has done very well in terms of reducing its emissions, um, even in spite of not being part of that global consensus. So I think that Joe Biden is in a good position. Uh, He has a good track record in the U.S., uh, to the credit of our companies, that he he can bring to the table. And we're all looking at Glasgow, uh, COP26, uh, the UN Climate Change Conference, uh, was supposed to be actually in December, but uh, got postponed till next year because of COVID. But that's uh, an early test will be coming up next November for Joe Biden to try to lead countries forward. Um, he has uh, asked former Secretary of State and former presidential candidate John Kerry to be his special climate envoy with a view that talking to a number of countries about building a coalition that will actually push us meaningfully forward in terms of our commitments. No more, you know, kind of uh, virtue signaling, but a real serious commitment. And one of the real potentials, I think, comes back to China. Many of us think that China has also made some strides on technology and may be able to commit to serious emissions reductions. If we could get that out of Glasgow, I think it would be a big uh, success for Joe Biden, but also a big success for the world. And COVID vaccines, obviously, they are rolling out across Canada and the U.S., but obviously Canada is a little short right now. Do you see uh, a time where Canada might be able to approach uh, Joe Biden in the U.S. about getting more vaccines in the interim while they wait for the new ones to come in? No, absolutely. I think the U.S. has has been remarkable um, in its capacity, not only to do the R&D to come up with vaccines, and we have a couple of them out there, not just the U.S., but other countries. But in particular, the U.S. has done an amazing job marshalling the productive capacity of our various drug companies to produce vaccine in large volumes and quickly. Now, he's set some ambitious goals for... Mm-hmm. But that productive capacity could go to help Canada as well. And uh, this is one of those things I think uh, that Justin Trudeau should have on his early agenda with Joe Biden. Not necessarily saying, you know, uh, you should shortchange American seniors and and help uh, Canadians out. But with production planning going into the future, and we recently heard Pfizer having to sort of delay delivery on some of the vaccines for Canada as they expand their capacity, having some help from the United States and trying to work together it's the kind of crisis that builds the friendship uh, in terrible times, whether it was World War II or or 9-11. When we've dealt with crisis and work together to recover from them, uh, it builds a friendship. They're good for another generation. I think this is another one of those opportunities. I think most Americans would support trying to help Canada out here uh, if Canada wanted that help. And I think it would renew our friendship with many dividends going forward uh, in the years to come. Christopher, I want to thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Ed.
Christopher Sands is Ph.D. Director at the Wilson Center's Canada Institute and Senior Research Professor at Johns Hopkins University. You can make your voice heard on this issue with our unpublished.vote question. Which issue should be the top priority for discussions for Canada and the new U.S. administration? China, by American policy, climate change, the pandemic, reopening the border, none of the above, or unsure. You can log on right now and vote at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. I want to thank our guests, Mark High, president of the Canada-U.S. Business Association. Bill Anderson is the director of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor. And Christopher Sands is Ph.D. director of the Wilson Center's Canada Institute, senior research professor with Johns Hopkins University. I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.